You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Now, I want to continue in a little series when we have studied um, some people, maybe lesser well-known characters on their lives uh, and how they've served. Uh, last time uh, we had Asaf, and one time before that we looked at a man called Jabbath. Asaf was the man who wrote many of the prayers, uh, in the, many of the Psalms, rather. Jabbat was the man with the great prayer, and that was recorded in First Chronicles 4. God willing, next week I'm looking forward to going back to County Monaghan, to my first congregation. It'll be 40 years, and we're looking forward to that very much. And then, the week after that, I think you have PW services in both congregations, and I'm here in the evening. And, and Scott said to me, what are you preaching about on that occasion, well, I'm very well organized, but I'm, uh, I can't, I wouldn't make a promise. I made a stammer at what it might be, Scott, but I'm not sure uh, 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 who, who it'll be then. We'll see. Tonight, let's look at one of the ladies, uh, uh, the ladies and her husband, Abigail, in First Samuel chapter 25. The name Abigail is not, oh no, I'll not say it. Is there anyone called Abigail here this evening? (laughs) Right, I can't say it. The name Abigail is not one of my favorite names. (laughs) But sometimes it's shortened to Abbe or to Gail. But the name Abigail, of course, is a Hebrew name. And it means her father rejoiced. Her father rejoiced. Now I'm sure and I hope that all fathers and all mothers and all grandparents too rejoice when a new baby born, a new baby arrives safe and well. Certainly we did. I only ever heard of one man, and sadly to say a Presbyterian elder long way from here, who did not rejoice when his third child was born, even though she was healthy and well. He did not rejoice when his third child was born because it was a daughter and he already had two. And he was a farmer and he wanted a son. And I thought to myself, how small-minded and, uh, and how sinful can the heart be? I'm told, I was told, that he refused to go to Craigavon Hospital to bring the mother and baby home. Well, I'm sure he must have done it eventually. But uh, isn't that awful? Her father, Abigail, means... Her father rejoiced, and rightly so. But to condense the story of Abigail into a few sentences, Abigail married a man called Nabal, of whom her father probably did not rejoice, because he was a stubborn, foolish, contrary man who reacted badly, as we read, in turning away David's messengers Uh, when they were asking for some food and incurred David's wrath. And David was just of a mind that because he had acted so to have him killed. He was the sort of man that didn't want to return one good turn with another. And as we would have read, Abigail reacted very shrewdly, very wisely, very graciously in the background. Unknown to her husband, she didn't tell him everything. She brought gifts to pacify David 
and averted what would have been a total disaster of bloodshed on Nabal uh, and upon his family. And though we didn't continue reading any, any longer, it was long enough, after Nabal's death, Abigail married David and lived at Hebron. You'll read all about it in 1 Samuel 25. Now, as we consider the biblical teaching in this not very well-known story, there are a few things that we can learn. First of all, there's the foolishness of Nabal, her husband. He's described in 1 Samuel 25, 2, as a man who was very great. Clearly, he was very influential. He was a very wealthy man. He was a property owner. He was an extremely large farmer. I don't know if there are many farmers here this evening, but he was a farmer who had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep. Now, I don't know all that much about farming, but I would have thought a farmer with a thousand goats and three thousand sheep had his work cut out for him. He was a pretty uh, upmarket, shall we say, uh, farmer, pretty well to do. He was the sort of guy that you might have seen on, on rare breeds or something like that. He was a pretty, you know, upmarket farmer. But here's the point. He was wealthy and he was great. But remember this. Great men are not always wise men. Great men are not always wise men, nor indeed are they godly men either. And that was the fact that underscored this man called Nabal. And you know, when you stop to think about it, and think about it more generally perhaps, people may excel in one or two areas of life. He excelled as a great farmer. Uh, people may excel in one or two areas of life, but there will be maybe other areas perhaps in the simple things where we do not quite do so well. And even though we may think we're doing very well in something, maybe it behests us this evening to take a look at our own lives and to say, Lord, well, what about this? What about that? And to try to see where perhaps we don't do so well. And the folly of a person will clearly be seen, ultimately, when he's brought face to face with the living God. Or to use one of my great quotations about Robert Murray McShane said this. He said, What a man is on his knees before God, that he is. It's true, you know. At the end of the day, what a man is on his knees before God, that he is. Now, back to the story. How was Nabal foolish? Well, the story is set in a period of stress in the nation. It was actually a war. And David and the troops tried to pursue the enemy, but also at the same time, they were trying to protect what they had. They were trying to protect the flocks on the home front as well as to drive out the enemy. And when the enemy was chased far enough away, it became very clear that the, the food supplies in the camp had dropped to an absolute minimum. And the men were absolutely hungry. So what did David do? He sent his servant to this rich farmer to whom he had protected and sent him with the request for perhaps he would give him some food. Nabal's reply was anything but positive or helpful. 
and it incurred the absolute wrath of David, who had sought earlier to protect him. David felt that one good turn should deserve another. Or to use the words of one Bible scholar, it was as if he refused to pay his taxes for the security he had enjoyed before. And David thought enough was enough. That was the foolishness of Nabal on this occasion. And isn't that principle in life still true? That very often in life, those that you do most for will not only expect most from you, but given a chance, may even turn against you and stab you in the back. I've had that experience. I feel sore about it. And I'm sure many of you have, and I'm sure there are school teachers here this evening who can tell the very same story. We all can. Nabal is remembered in history as a man known for his folly because two things. One, he neglected the claims of David on some of his material goods. And secondly, he lived as a person who just lived for his own belly, as it were. He lived for his own self-gratification. All that money, all that prosperity that he had. And that was how Nabal was remembered. And then if you look at verse 36, he was holding a banquet like a king, and he was in high spirits, and he was very drunk. Need we be told anymore? How many people today especially of the most wealthy, the most influential, the most educated, the most sophisticated, like Nabal, they're living for themselves and their glory alone. They're living for the glory of their belly. They're living for self-gratification in whatever form it takes. They're living for this life only, and they think not about the next. Nabal's property, his goats and his 3,000 sheep, were no benefit to him the day he died. Nor will any worldly thing be to us when we stand before our maker. Yes, we all want to be prosperous and we all want to do the best we can. We all want to get on in life. But you know, many of the things we work for will slip through our hand like sand in a sieve. In a sense, Nabal, I think, lived and died thousands of years ago. But in another sense, he's alive and well. And he's alive and well in every country, in every generation, in every community still. That's the story that tells about the folly of Nabal. I want you to think about that this evening. And ask yourself, is there anything like the story of Nabal that could be, that anyone could see? in this heart or life or lifestyle or way that I live today? Are you living for self-gratification, self-gratification only, worldly things and success? Or are you rejecting those who, claim, who have a claim on your life, especially the Lord, before whom we will stand? The folly of Nabal. Ponder that and think about it. Read again the story. We'll then turn to the wisdom of Abigail. What did she do? What did she do? Verse 23 following, she went to King David while her husband was in a drunken stupor and she pleaded his cause. 
And in verse 25, we're told what she said. Pay no attention to that man, Nabal. He's just like his name. His name means fool, and fool goes with him. So the first thing that we've noticed about Abigail, she spoke words of good common sense. Maybe men, we need to listen to our wives more often than we do. She spoke words of good common sense. She was big enough and wise enough to go and to act. It was a difficult thing to do. Uh, and to admit that the man that she married, her husband, was a fool, an absolute idiot. And to prevent David and his army from staining their own character, she persuaded David to change his mind. Which I would suggest to you was not an easy thing to have done. But the point was, there she was, working quietly in the background. I have learned in church life for 40 years that there's a lot of things done in the background. And often the things that are accomplished in the background are the places where the real work is done. People perhaps doing things uh, for the Lord's service, they never hit the headlines, they never, see very, they never get any praise. It's done in the background. And yet, that's the important thing. She accomplished in the background and averted an absolute disaster. Now, something else about her. Clearly, she knew that her husband was wrong. And she did not try to make excuses that he was right. She stood up for the truth. That's tough. It's not easy to say you're wrong or someone belonging to you is wrong. Very often today, I've noticed in dealing with people, and I'm dealing with people in churches over the last 20 years at least, that when, when they're in the wrong, they'll stand up and pro protest to you that they're right. And their family's in the right. They'll do anything but admit it. They will not face it. And what happened, Abigail? She went to David and she faced the situation head on and square, and she made no excuses for her husband. She, she, she admitted the story. She had the courage to believe and to do what was right. And so she interceded for her foolish husband before the great King David. I remember doing children's wrestles about words that were disappearing from the English language, please and, and thank you, and sorry. It's a big thing to say sorry. To say sorry to God, asking for forgiveness. But to say sorry for something, someone we've wronged, so it takes a lot of courage sometimes to be able to go to someone and say, look, I'm sorry. And what Abigail was basically doing here in the story, she was pleading to David on behalf of her foolish husband and telling David, telling David that she was sorry for him. And I want you to notice something else in this story in verse 37. She waited till her husband was sober before she told him what she had done. She knew there was no point in reasoning with an argumentative drunk man because if he was contrary when he was sober, what would he have been like when he was drunk? When drink is in, common sense is out. That's Abigail. She spoke words of common sense. She spoke words of spiritual consideration. She didn't want him to stain his character. 
before the Lord by doing something that, 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 that he had planned to do. She said David was a ruler in the hand of God. She recognized that God was sovereign. And clearly Abigail lived in the fear of God. How many, how different for so many people today who do not live with a fear of God. Maybe a nodding acquaintance on, 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 on a Sunday, but they live with no fear of God before their eyes. I believe that Abigail lived with a fear of God, as indeed so must we all. Let's never forget that our lives on this earth hang on by a slender thread. And that thread can so easily and so quickly be broken. We don't fear the wrath of an earthly monarch uh, the way Abigail did. But like Abigail, we need to recognize that life and living and power and authority comes from the holy God. We're in the hands of a holy God. I cannot take another breath unless you give me power. Well, the story goes on and tells that the end came very soon for this foolish Nabal. And David's hands were clean hands. He had not uh, done what he had proposed in his mind to do. And we're told that ten days later, the Lord smote, smote Nabal, and he died. I wonder what became of the wealth, the thousand goats, the three thousand sheep. I'd love to have known that, but of course the gospel, the story doesn't tell us. A bit like the, the nosy woman in Ballymena who when her friend, her husband, not her friend, but her neighbor died and was quite wealthy, she went, she went to the solicitor. And she said, what did he leave behind him? The solicitor was very wise. He said, madam, he said, he left everything behind him. He left everything behind him. We all do. One calls to mind that story from the lips of Jesus. And it's a solemn story about the rich fool. You remember the story? And who knows, maybe Jesus was thinking about Nabal because the parable is almost a copy of the, a mirror image of Nabal's life. He had everything. He was a big farmer too. And do you remember how it ends, thou fool? This night your soul will be required of you. Then who's going to get all these things you have refused for yourself? The man or woman who refuses to believe and, and, and accept the forgiveness of Christ and the salvation purchased on the cross is bound for a lost eternity, no matter what um, material possessions they might have. They are setting the eternal God at defiance. And what became of Abigail? Well, she was now widowed from this foolish and, and greedy and, and awkward man, and she was free to remarry. And in the bigger picture, she became the wife of the king. The wife of the king. Abigail was one of those people, I think, that maybe was a bit like a prophet in her time. She doesn't feature very much in the Scripture, in the New Testament, and certainly in, in the Old Testament pages and not in the New Testament. But when she is spoken of, She's remembered very fondly. And she's remembered for her wisdom. And she's remembered for her spiritual common sense. She spoke words of sound common sense. She wasn't afraid to accept the challenge to plead on behalf of her foolish husband, even to the king. 
She had a spiritual consideration. She didn't want, she, she wanted, she knew that the king was the, the representative of God and she didn't want him to, uh, as it were, dirty his hands. And she had a very timely word. And you know, the Lord brought good out of her faithfulness. May God grant all of us the wisdom of a timely word to know his will and to do his will. And even like Abigail, no matter how difficult it is, and sometimes doing God's will is, the, is a very, very difficult and challenging thing. May our stand for truth and for the gospel and for gospel principles be strong, whatever in whatever circumstances we may be, or in the presence of whosoever would try to lead us astray. May we never shrink from duty, even if duty is tough. And then, having walked with God our earthly days, may we hear the well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let us pray. Thank you.